0: Uh, first off, I, I count it an honor and a privilege. Uh, you know, I've, I've done public speaking and training and things in front of hundreds, almost thousands of people, and and it is extremely humbling to stand up be, between a congregate before a congregation and, and represent the word of God. So I would just pray, you pray for me. Uh, I'll pray for you um, that I, I don't uh, fall short. That it's not me that stands in the way of God's word. Uh, that it's not uh, anything of my eloquent speech or you know any kind of poetic uh, things that come out of my mouth uh, but more importantly it's the Lord to work through me He just let me to be an open and a broken vessel for his use um, I know that uh, my wife doesn't let me do the laundry anymore and I'll explain that to you um, because when you do it wrong enough times, then it pretty much says stop doing it. I'm gonna do it unless it's very selective. You know, maybe my my gym clothes I'm allowed to wash, but wash, but nothing else. Um, so you say, why are you talking about washing clothes? Uh, well, I figure, you know, if I do a bad enough job, maybe the Pastor will stop asking me to do this. Um, but, but apparently, last time was good enough, so he asked me to to come again, and, and I, again I appreciate the opportunity um, to come before you. So. Um, in preparing for the message, I know a lot of preachers you know, decide you know, throughout the week or, or whenever what they want to preach on. And they have a subject and they have ideas and they have a theory of what they want to prove. And, and I'm not going to lie, that's kind of where I started. Um, before starting to write the message, you know, what kind of idea or subject that message will be, but then spend the time of their week looking through the bible and pulling verses and pulling scripture and trying to apply and wrestle and and manipulate those scriptures into what their theory and the idea oh sorry kids you're dismissed i apologize they <laughs> already messed up one in the messed up box there you go kids should be going back to children's church I'm like why are we here this is so boring um <laughs> uh, but uh you know as i said you know I had a plan, you know. I had an idea. I said, I want to make this point, and I want to focus on this, and I want to bring this up. And this is this is what I'm thinking. And and spent some time during the week studying and, and referencing verses and making notes in a little spreadsheet um, about what I wanted to say. And I'm I'm using the Word of God, you know. I'm using scriptures. I'm using the Bible. So this is this is good. Um, well, I kind of fell into the same trap uh, throughout the week, and as I got through. I couldn't support the uh, the points that I was trying to make. I couldn't find the scriptures in the context to back up my ideas, and I basically had to trash the pages that I had written. You know, and I, I texted Pastor and I said, "Man, do you ever do this where you're writing half the message and you get you know three, four, five pages in and just it just doesn't, it's just not right?" He's like, "Yep, all the time." So I said, "All right, well I'm a good company then." <laughs> so there we go. Um, so again, I just pray. That after surrendering and submitting to the Lord and just trying my best to feel what he would want me to preach. And, and, and through the scriptures that I was reading and in the verses that I would referenced, you know, enlightened me as to things that I believe that he wanted me to share with you. Um, for, so for that, you know, I sat around and I'm like, OK, that's done now. Let's sit around and let's come up you know, with the, there's got to be a good quote to start with or a good anecdote or a good story, you know, because you want to lead in with something, get people's attention. And then I just couldn't find anything. I said, you know what? The Lord didn't want that. So I don't have an entertaining story. I don't have some quote from Abraham Lincoln. I don't have any of that. And so don't get excited. Uh, what I do have is some some scripture. I have some verses. I think Chris said I have 71 slides. We better get to it. because <laughs> We'll be here for a little while. Um, but what I want to talk about today is how God uses broken people. Also known as if you're not broken, God will not use you. And today we're going to look at what the Bible says about this and the four reasons that God breaks us to be used for His glory and for His purpose. You know, the first is relatability. We have to be relatable. We have to be someone that, you know, anyone can identify with. Uh, The second is our reliance on Him, that we have to be... Reliant on God, it's not of ourselves, it's not of our own will and ways. To be resigned, meaning that we have to be humble, uh, we have no cause to boast, no, no cause for pride to interfere. And last but not least is to be remarkable. And I don't mean me, and I don't mean you. I mean to allow God to be remarkable through us. Now in the Bible, if we reference back to one of the first uh, great men of God, as an example, I look at Moses. Now, look at where Moses came from. Look at what Moses' position was. You know, Moses was adopted basically as a grandson to Pharaoh. So he's basically in the wealthiest, most high-reigning family in the world as the grandson. And you know how grandsons are. You know, they're typically spoiled. They're typically treated better than the sons of the daughters (laughs) because they're the grandchild. So can you imagine if God looked down and says, I want to use Moses, I truly believe God was not going to use Moses as the son of Pharaoh. So if we look at what happened, how did God use him? Well, Moses ended up using his own ideas, his own flesh, and his own will. Uh, he was a murderer. He was a deceiver. And in Exodus, for, uh, Exodus 2, verse 11, it explains it. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out and took unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spotted an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he committed murder. He hid the body of this Egyptian. And, of course, this caused you know, Moses to be pushed out of Pharaoh's favor. You know, and you could sit around and say, woe is me, oh, poor Moses. He made this horrible decision. He had the great life. He had this wonderful situation. He could have been set for you know, the rest of his days and not have, have a care or worry. But God could not be used as I said, as Pharaoh's grandson. So in turn, Moses became a shepherd uh, for Jethro, who was his father-in-law, and was called by God in his humbled condition. Now, what I, what I, when I was reading these verses, I was like, look at what Moses did. But we have to change our, our train of thought there, because I want you to listen to the verses that I'm using here, and not what Moses did, but listen to how God specifically phrases his words as to how those tasks were accomplished. And Exodus 3 verse says this, Exodus 3, verse 7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster. For I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. He speaks to Moses, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. And thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So as it references, God is specifically saying, I am going to do this. I'm going to take this broken vessel. I'm going to take this human being that is now distraught and struggling and you know, accused of murder, which he did, and now I can use him. You know, all the things that God said he would do, Moses was focused on the feeling that he could not. So when we look at what God's asking us to do, what he's asking you to do, a lot of times do we look at him be like, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I don't know if I could sing a special. I don't know if I can, you know, work with children in children's church. I don't know if I could lead a Bible study. I don't know if I could be a discipler. Those things that we look at, and a lot of times, The lack of faith and the self-doubt comes in the form of, I'm just not good enough. And in Moses, that comes out in Exodus 3, verse 11. It says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God's response in verse verse 12 is very clear. He said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token of thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So very clearly, Moses, it's not you. I'm not asking you to do it based on your strength, based on your abilities, based on your wisdom. I'm asking you to do it because I can be glorified and I can show through the works that can be done. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think Moses immediately said, okay, sounds great, God, let's do it. (laughs) No, Moses was full of excuses. How many of of y'all have ever asked your kids to do something and you asked them and they gave you one excuse and that was it? (laughs) Nope, and they found another excuse. And another excuse, another excuse. Cadence came home today. Her shoes were laying in the middle of the floor. I said, Cadence, told you to pick up your shoes. Oh, but Daddy, I'm tired. I don't care. He tired. go pick them up. But Daddy, I'm already upstairs watching TV. Well, come downstairs. Oh, but Daddy, I don't want to. Excuse, 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 (laughs) excuse. And Moses, his next excuse was, I don't have all the answers. And in Exodus 3, verse 13, it says, As Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God gives his response. In verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt that, that thus... <laughs> Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Now at this point, I'm sure Moses is thinking, Well, even if the people listen to me, how in the world could we defeat the Egyptians, the most powerful nation on the earth? Now God (coughs) doesn't even wait for an excuse on this one. God jumps in in Exodus 3.19 and says, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. So again, it's not me. It's not Moses. It's not you. It's God saying, I will do it. Next up, Moses says, well, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good leader. Another excuse comes out of the woodwork, of course. In Exodus 4.10, says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, not heretofore, nor shall nor since thou hast spoken unto my, thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I am feeling that right now. <laughs> God's response, and the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who made your mouth, Moses? And who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. So, in essence, if we are asking, or telling God we can't do something, and he's telling us that we can we're doubting God. We're not believing God. We're not having faith in God because he is the one that created our mouths. He created our bodies. He created our person uh, to accomplish his will and his ways. Now, Moses believes he's not qualified. And, and his last excuse is, okay, look, just find somebody else. Please, just find somebody else. In Exodus four thirteen, he said, O oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Now, at this point, as I said, with children making excuses, as many times as you like to be calm and collected and loving the first few times, sometimes this is good to get you a little perturbed, Do you get a little bit anxious. And the Lord's response on this time says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, It is is not Aaron the Levite thy brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will... I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. Now, Moses was used by God in multiple, multiple miracles. If you go back to the Old Testament and read about you know, Moses and his accomplishments you know, that God did through him. You know, he brought those ten, ten plagues upon Egypt that allowed his people to be free. When they escaped and got to the Red Sea, he literally parted the Red Sea and created dry land that they could escape uh, safely. He brought water out of the rock a couple different times. So obviously Moses was well used by God. And we look back and said, you know, as my life, I'd like to be someone that God could use. Well, look back at Moses. Was Moses, was he relatable? Can you see the failures? Can you see the faults? Can you see the times that he was lacking self-confidence and that he was basically broken down? And can you see also the reliance? At the end, he had to rely on God, and through that reliance on the Lord is how he accomplished those tasks, not through his own will and his own way. Was Moses resigned? Was he humbled? You know, he went from, again, grandson of the Pharaoh to a shepherd, you know, as you know, an accused murderer. So, so was he humbled? Yeah. Absolutely. Had yeah. to turn to God again, based on his brokenness. And lastly, was God remarkable? Absolutely. The miracles that were performed. God showed Himself to be remarkable through those broken pieces of Moses' life. And then next, I want to look at is Peter, because Peter, if y'all know the story, Peter is one of Jesus's twelve disciples right? If you were chosen to be a disciple, can you pretty much believe that, hey, you know, God chose me to just be a disciple. Man, this is awesome. I must be able to do something for God. He was the only individual in the Bible to walk on water aside from Jesus himself. And at Pentecost, he led thousands and thousands of people to Christ. But what's Peter's faults? What are, what are his flaws? He doubts Jesus. He argues with Jesus. and In the end, he denies Jesus. Now, there's a lot more instances. Peter's kind of a high head. I like him, you know, because he's overconfident. You know, he, he speaks before he thinks a lot of times, ends up putting his foot in his mouth, and I am known more, more times than not to do that, you know, when it comes to my life and my choices and my uh, verbal expression. Uh, but if you look at where Peter came from and where he ended his walk, even though Jesus does call Peter to walk on the water, what happens when he does? He immediately... Loses was his faith. In Matthew 14, verse 28, it says, And Peter answered unto him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto the water. Come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. So immediately he began to doubt, even though he was physically in part in the middle of the miracle itself. Can you imagine in the middle of the miracle itself, doubt still crept in? Later on, when Jesus tells Peter about his plan, you know, he says, Hey, I'm gonna, I've come to this earth for one purpose, and that purpose is to die on a cross, you know, to be buried in a tomb, to be raised again in three days, and to allow those that have sinned and come short of the glory of God to be saved, to have salvation, to be ever present with the Lord. That's why I've come. And of course, Peter being the hothead he is and not thinking twice before saying anything. This is his response. In Matthew sixteen twenty one. it says, From that time forth, Jesus uh, be- began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, Jesus turned, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan." Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is calling Peter Satan. Jesus is, is seeing the forces behind Peter's doubt and seeing him saying, no, 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 you don't need to go to that cross. You shouldn't go to that cross. You don't need to die. You are God. You are Lord. You are all powerful. Don't, don't do that. And, and Jesus looked right past him and said, you know, based on Peter's doubt, I know that this is the devil that's working on your heart and on your soul to tell me not to do this. I mean, could you imagine? You are a disciple of Christ. You believe he is the Savior, and yet he calls you Satan. That would be a bad day. Now, lastly, Peter, I'm sorry, not lastly, but nextly. Is that a word? Nextly? Sure. We'll use it for now. Peter, James, and John, what were they doing in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus went to pray? They were sleeping. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm going to go up here taking nap for a while. What did he say? He said, pray and pray vigilantly while I'm away. In Matthew's 20, Matthew 26, 39, it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Could you imagine? He nudges you awake and Jesus is standing right there, and like, dude, it's an hour. Come on, give me a break. Now, after that, he go. obviously he went to pray again, and they stayed awake this time, right? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came again and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. I, you know, I know that uh, you know. There's things that that I get asked to do, and sometimes fall short and don't get them done properly. But if Jesus asked me for one hour to sit and pray while He was gone, I would hope to think that I wouldn't fall asleep. But the failures and the faults and the weaknesses that we have as human beings allow God to use us. And lastly, is where Peter denied Jesus three times while he was being taken to be crucified, while he was being bitten, while he was being beaten, not bitten. While he was being beaten, and he was being uh, basically dragged up this hill, or walking up this hill voluntarily, obviously, but walking up this hill with the cross on his back, Peter was busy avoiding him, you know, sitting outside, you know, telling people he didn't didn't know him. In Matthew 26, verse 69, it says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them, all saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone... Out unto the porch another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Jesus predicted that was going to happen. Jesus said, you'll deny me. Oh, no, no, Lord, I won't, I won't. Sure enough, he did. And if we look at Peter, there's a good number of times that Peter fell short, fell short, fell short, fell short. And how would you and I feel? Would we feel like, man, this is awesome. I'm falling short. I'm sure God can use me. Do we feel lack of confidence? Do we feel inability? Do we feel hurt? Do we feel like, how in the world, why in the world? First off, would God want to use someone like me? But after his many failures... God used Peter mightily to preach at Pentecost, and 3,000 people or more came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior at that preaching. So we look at Peter's life. Was he relatable? I said, there's mistakes, and I'm like, yep, done that. Yep, got it, Peter. I, I get you, brother. I hear you. Was, he, was, his reliance to God on, uh, was his reliance on God clear to accomplish his will? Absolutely. Was Peter Peter resigned and humbled that he could not do anything without God? Eventually, he was a little bit stubborn, so it took him a little bit of time, but he was absolutely humbled. And was God remarkable despite Peter's brokenness? So just think about it this way. What if you were one of those 3,000? What if you had came to hear the preaching of the Word of God, and Peter was about to get ready to get get up to preach and just looked back and said, Oh, man. Man, I fell asleep when I shouldn't have and disappointed Jesus. Man, I, I doubted walking on the water. Um, you know, I, I, man, I even told Jesus he, he shouldn't even go to the cross and die. Yeah, no, no, I can't. I can't. No, I think we'll, we'll just have, we'll have a nice little fellowship. We'll sing some songs. Everybody go home. We're not going to do it. What if you were one of those 3,000 and you did not hear what God had intended for you that day? Peter allowed God to be remarkable in that situation. And when we look at Paul, now if you know anything about Paul, Paul uh, was a man born out of his own time. He was a individual that the Lord used to reach the Gentile world. You know, basically, um, God's chosen people, the Israelites, uh, were were not fulfilling what God had wanted them to do, and, and the Lord gave the opportunity of grace. You know, for those that were not Jews, which that's us. You know, you know, we are not. Uh, the Israelites. We're not the Jewish. We're technically not God's initially chosen people. And Paul was used to reach the known world with the gospel. But look at his background. Paul's, Paul was previously, now if you don't know, was previously known as Saul, was his name prior to becoming Paul. In Acts 22, verse 3, it says, "...I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia." Yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way until death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So basically, Saul, who became Paul, was religious. He was following the rule of the day, trying to follow man's traditions and, and religious principles of what was right and wrong in God's eyes, and he was persecuting folks that had believed on Jesus, folks that had come to know, you know through their sins and their failures and not meeting the law that was written down, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, he was persecuting them. He was basically running around as a holier than thou individual, trying to arrest and and discover and collect these folks who are Christians and put them in prison. Uh, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom I have received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them, which were were there bound, into Jerusalem for to be punished. So he was literally on the road to Damascus for the purpose going on this road to find other individuals who believed on Jesus Christ to arrest them and bring them to justice, bring them to punishment. He believed Jesus to be a liar. He believed him to be a blasphemer. And his life's goal was to stamp out Christianity. Now, as In a little verb about that. When Stephen was preaching Christ, in Acts 7, verse 58, it says, And cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And in Acts 8, verse 3, we look and it says, As for Saul, again, this will become Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committing them to prison. So if you read the beginning part of this story and you heard about this individual who was actively seeking out and and maybe not killing Christians himself, but led to the death of many Christians, would you look at that individual and be like, I think God should use him. I think, I mean, you and I, human beings, if we are believers in Jesus Christ and we knew how bad he was persecuting brethren Brothers and sisters in Christ like us, what would our human solution be? Someone needs to take him out. Someone needs to just kill him. I mean, For the glory of God, kill him. It's not really right, but that's probably what our response would be. But for Paul to be used of God, what had to happen? He had to be broken. As he was on the road to Damascus and to arrest the Christians to bring them to justice, Jesus appeared to him. In Acts 9, verse 8, it says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So basically, Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him, and he was immediately after that interaction was blinded. So Paul literally had to become disabled to a fact he could not physically, mentally, he could not rely on himself anymore. That was the only way God could get his attention. He had to break him so dramatically that he had no other option. He had to turn to God to rely on him. Even though Paul was converted and became a dedicated follower of Christ, he still was broken his remaining time on the earth. If we look at Second Corinthians verse twelve, or 2 Corinthians twelve, verse five, it says, Of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but of in mine infirmities. For thou I would For for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me, or he heareth of me. He is realizing that he has to keep uh, these things that are disabling him, these things that are making him suffer, to keep him humble. And lest uh, I should be exalted above measure... Therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was humble to the point where he would rely on the Lord for the rest of his ministry. And as much as we have things, I mean, I get up every day, you know, and my knee is killing me, you know, my back hurts. You know, uh, I get up every day and I feel inadequate. I get up every day and I feel doubtful that I'm going to let somebody down or I'm not going to be the man that God wants me to be. But throughout that, I know that there's a one mighty, perfect, holy God that can make things happen. And through that humility, you know, through that brokenness is another example of how God uses Paul. And in 1 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech, ...or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ. I didn't know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing word of man's wisdom, praise the Lord, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." So as I stand here before you today, I please don't let my fumbling words and my inability to, to read verses that I've read a dozen times before standing up here, don't let that hold you back. Don't listen to me. I'm not here preaching about what I think and what I believe. Listen to the Lord. Submit to him. Understand what he's trying to do to reach your heart. Pa- Paul was used by God after persecuting and murdering Christians to reach the Gentile world. And if we reflect on Paul, was he relatable in his brokenness? Can you see the faults and the failures, and how you know he was used despite that? Was his reliance on God clear? Was it clear that he gave up any ambition or intent that he had for his life and he decided, I need to rely on God because, again, he was blinded. He was physically and mentally incapable and yet had to rely on God. Was Paul resigned that he could not do anything without God? And lastly, was God remarkable despite Paul's brokenness? You know, and, and we hear stories and stories about Paul. Paul literally witnessed to every individual he felt led to, that he met, saw, talked to, that God led him to lead to Christ. He spoke to every single one of them. He says, there's not one man, one woman on this planet that I have the blood on my hands uh, that he did not witness to. And I don't know any of us that can say that. And if we look over the Bible, and I'm not going to take time to go through example after example, but honestly, when I was looking at, at folks uh, that God had used throughout the Bible, I don't think there's any that's perfect. Uh, is there? Save one. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Because he was God. Made man. And yet he did suffer. And he was broken. Not of his own accord. Not of his own decisions. Not of his own flaws and his own sins. He was broken for God's glory. And for our, for our, for our good. But if we look throughout the Bible... Names that you may or may not have heard, but I just want to share a couple with you. Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Genesis 12, verse 13. Think about this. You know, he has a wife who's beautiful, and they're about to go into a hostile environment, you know, and there's a a ruler that he's afraid. Wow, man, if I go in here, this ruler, he might get aggressive. You know what? If I say that my wife's my sister and she's so beautiful, maybe he won't kill us. So he says, when they ask, don't tell him you're my wife. Tell him that you're my sister. In Genesis 12, 13, it says, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well for me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So his decision was, you know what, if I say that my wife's my sister, I'll be okay. Does that sound like a, a man of faith, a man of God, you know, a man who could be used mightily for the cause of Christ? It does not. Noah, y'all know who Noah is, right? God decided that he was going to wipe the earth clean, He needed to start fresh. He decided to choose Noah, a faithful man, to replenish the earth. When Noah got off the boat and got on dry land, what did he do? Got drunk, passed out. Genesis 9, verse 20 says, And Noah began to be unhusbanded and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Uncovered is a polite way of saying, naked. So, that's Noah. Uh, if you know the story of Rahab, Rahab was well used by God to hide uh, the spies of the Israelite nation as they were coming in um, to Jericho. And what was, Rah- what, what was Rahab's profession? She was a prostitute. In Hebrews eleven thirty one, it says, By faith the harlot, prostitute Rahab, perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And one of my other favorites, David. If you know the story of David, he's also known as what? The man after God's own heart. I and mean, if you read the Bible, this is an individual that God felt, man, David is someone who loves what I love. You know, he, he cares what I care for. And yet David, if you look at his story, is almost as bad as anybody else's out there. He was an adulterer and a murderer. In 2 Samuel 11, it says, And David sent and inquired after the woman, And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned under her house. And then later in verse 15, and he wrote in the letter saying, set ye Uriah, her husband, in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. He basically said, look, you don't put Uriah out in the front. You know, with the rest of the guys, and then as he's getting ready to fight, y'all just back off and let him die. And this is David, the man after God's own heart. If you've heard of the prophet Elijah, Elijah was depressed and suicidal. In 1 Kings 19, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a jun- juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, this is after God had used him to bring drought on Israel. He fed him with ravens. Uh, He allowed him to go to the widow's son and fed him with never-ending oil and flour when they were like, we're just going to make one cake, eat it, and die. He was able to to go to another widow who was no longer uh, with her husband, and and he was passed away, and, and her child had died. Raised that child from the dead. He brought fire from the heavens on the soaking wet altar when challenging the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other priests of Balaam. Then he brought the rain upon, the command, upon command at the end of a drought. So all these miracles that he had provided, even after all that, he said, that's enough. Lord, take me. He wanted to die. The Samaritan woman at the well, if you know her story, she was divorced five times and she was living with a man that she was not married to. And John 4, verse 18, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and uh, that sayest thou truly. And yet when she come to know and accept Christ as living water, she became one of the biggest promoters of Jesus, one of the biggest witnesses uh, to bring people to Christ in her town. And Jonah, if you know Jonah, if you remember being a kid, Jonah was swallowed by the whale. It wasn't because Jonah was doing what God wanted him to do. And Jonah one three, uh, Jonah one verse three, it says, "But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it uh, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was running away from the Lord. The Lord direct him, directed him to go witness to Nineveh, and instead of going to witness to Nineveh, he went the other direction because he didn't like the Ninevites, didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. Imagine that. Now God still used him. God." Once he got thrown up by the whale, which is another wonderful story, you know, he decided, okay, I'm going to follow God's will now. He was able to witness and to lead many of those in device to Christ. And then there's Martha. If you know anything about Martha, Martha was a worrier. Martha worried about everything. In Luke 10, verse 41, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now, can you imagine Jesus being like, Martha, I'm here. Quit worrying. Seriously, it's going to be okay. And last but not least is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was money hungry, he was greedy, and he was selfish. And yet, the Lord used him. In Luke 19, too, it says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. So that's just a handful of biblical characters, of folks in the past that had their flaws, had their faults, and had their brokenness that God was able to use them. Now, when we look at our brokenness and convince ourselves that God cannot use us, just reflect on the simple truth that the Bible has shown us today. Has our brokenness, and again, this is relating to you, this is relating to me, take a time of self-reflection and think about this. In your life, has your brokenness made you relatable? Keep in mind, God chooses flawed people because that is who we can most identify with. We relate to those people. We can't relate to the holy and the righteous Pharisee. No, we can't relate to them. We can't relate to the perfect man or woman and aspire to be holy and and Christian because of them. No, but we can relate to Peter. We can relate to the guy that sticks his foot in his mouth and makes mistakes. We can relate to that. In Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So unfortunately, many of us, when we get saved, when we come to Christ, you know Our ambition is to be perfect, is to be holy, is to be righteous. Now, are we pressing towards holiness? Or are we pressing towards righteousness? Absolutely. Will we ever reach that in our fleshly bodies here on earth? Absolutely not. So while we have a goal to reach that and to, to press towards that, uh, unfortunately, there's none righteous, and the Bible clearly dictates that. And in Romans 8, 23, of course, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All have sinned. So again, if we feel that we fall short, if we feel unworthy, we feel broken, we feel like we are not able to accomplish what God's will is, the Bible says all. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say the people who can't help me out. It says all. Now, secondly, has our brokenness led us to be reliant on the Lord? He chooses flawed people because of their flaws, not in spite of them, because of their flaws. And it makes them see their need for a Savior and the need for a God in our Christian lives. In Philippians 4, verse 12, it says, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And it comes to the realization that those things that we can do, as with Moses As we look at all things he accomplished, he had to come to the realization that he was not doing that through himself. He was doing that only through the power of the Lord. And thirdly, does our brokenness cause us to be resigned? Does it cause us to have humility? Does it cause us uh, not to boast, not to be prideful? Uh, God chooses flawed people because they have no cause to boast. They have to rely on grace. If he chose a skilled orator or a leader to lead his children out of Israel, he might, have, might not have seen his need to lean on God. I'm sorry. If he would have chosen a skilled orator or a leader to lead his children out of Israel, he might have assumed that leader, that, that talented individual, you know, that stalwart, strong, perfect individual would have claimed the victory for himself. You know, who have said, it was me, you know, I am such a great leader. You look at the, uh, some of the empires of the past that have fallen, and you have these great leaders that were not godly, and look at how their empires ended up. They all fell, every single one of them. Had Peter been a righteous and holy man, he might not have seen his need to lean on God and take, would have taken credit for himself. There's no question when you're flawed that it was God that accomplished the task and not you doing it on your own. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, For grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And lastly, does our brokenness allow God to show how remarkable that he is? God chooses and uses broken people to show us that he can equip anyone to do his work. We can look at Moses and we can see we don't need to be a great speaker or a skilled leader to do God's work. In Psalm 73, verse 26, 26 says, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, through that self-reflection, this is where it gets hard. Through that self-reflection, you know, it made me look at my own life and, and understand when pastor preaches and when I preach, more often than not, we're up here preaching to ourselves. We're up here, you know, giving a message that has impacted our lives, is impacting our lives, or will impact our lives. And I want to share this with you, uh, and, and it's a story that I might not get through very easily and without some struggle, um, but, uh, but I'll give it a shot. Um, years ago, there was a little girl that came into this world. She faced challenge after challenge. She went through so much. Her aunt always called her the little survivor. Her mother was in and out of mental hospitals due to chemical imbalance since before she was born. And really never had the capacity to care for her. At the age of five years old, this little girl was taken advantage of by a friend's teenage brother. And this happened on and off until she was nine years old. At the age of ten, the girl and her father came forth on the same day for salvation and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal saviors. That's a good part of the story. Later that same year, this girl came home from a friend's house to find her father in the garage, slumped over a lawn chair, in the garage, he had taken his own life with his gun. After that, her mother was in no state to take care of her, so she had to go live with her sister. And though I'm sure her older sister loved her. You can imagine the stress of the situation since she had three of her own girls to take care of and provide for. As this young lady went to college, she pursued things of the world, not the will of the Lord. She did what most college kids did, partying, having a good time and not holding her body as a treasure for her future husband. A few years after graduation, her other sister passed away in her sleep at the age of 39 years old. Now, you can imagine how broken this woman was, and in many ways still is. In her own words, she says, from these experiences have I felt unloved, undeserving of love, alone, abandoned, an unfit mother, unvalued as a wife, not heard and broken. But I continue to go to God to renew me and restore me. Now, why we are not perfect, God's will and ways, they are perfect. And in Psalms 1830, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust Him. Now, God used this broken woman to change my life forever. Because in our lives, what we have done, what we are doing, and what we we will do in the past and the present and the future as God sees it. And I look at myself, who am I? What we've done in the past, what we've done in the present and done in the future all applies. If you've lied in your life, what are you? If you've stolen something in your life, what are you? I looked at myself, I was a liar, I was a thief, I was a womanizer, a cheater, a blasphemer, I was prideful, I was an idol worshiper, choosing the world over God, a failure as a husband, a father, and a friend, selfish, narcissistic, and insensitive to others. For all those things that, what I, for all those things that I was and that I am, I was broken. I felt unlovable, I felt undeserving, and I felt unworthy. Not just of God's love, but of anyone's love. And yet this imperfect, broken woman was able to reach me. After years of tragedy and running from God, she turned back to him and started taking me to church, praying for my soul to be saved. After almost two months of going to church every Sunday, I raised my hand for salvation and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Our lives have been far from perfect since then. Challenges came like crashing tidal waves, and there were times I thought our marriage would end, but God has even used those times of disaster, those times of heartache, those times of struggle to be used for his glory. And in Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his perfect. And with this, I'll tell you this, we are broken. We're broken together. In our weakness, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So aside from her impact on my life specifically, God has given my wife an incredible incredible ability to be used by him that few others have. I've seen her witness to those who experience a loved one committing suicide, to those who have been through different types of abuse, to those who have lost siblings and parents well before their time. And I tell you this, God can use her in ways that a lot of us cannot be used because of the way that she was broken. So I challenge you with this question today Are you able to be used by God? Are you broken? Can people relate to you because of your brokenness? Are you reliant on God as a result of that? Are you resigned and humble knowing that it's up to God and it is not up to you? And lastly, Is God remarkable to be able to be used your brokenness to heal those who need to be healed? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Lord, I just thank you and I just pray. I just pray, Lord, that your will is done today, Lord, in this message, in these verses, Lord, and in our lives, uh, that we can be uh, just witnesses to what you've done, Lord. Lord, and as we reflect on our brokenness, Lord, we know That you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth who was the only one physically and spiritually who was walking this earth perfect, who did not have flaws and failures and was not broken in, in the sense of a human ideal. But Lord, Jesus went to the cross to be broken. Jesus made that choice for our salvation to save our souls, those who didn't deserve it, those who were unworthy, those who were unloved those that can't believe that God can use us and are questioning sometimes why God would even love us. Lord, I just pray that you touch hearts today, Lord. I just pray that those that know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that they're encouraged by this, Lord, if they're going through troubles and trials and struggles and strains, Lord, that they might not understand why. You know, at the time of going through those storms, it should not be a question of why, but what, Lord? What are you trying to teach me? What are you preparing me for? What are you giving me the ability to work in your will, way, and glory in the future, Lord. But Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today, if there's anyone watching online, if there's anyone who's broken, because we all are, there's none that is righteous, no, not one, but has never come to the realization and the understanding of why you sent your son to die on this earth. If there's one here today that says, I need to know, I'd like to have that relationship, I'd like to understand the love of God. I just pray that that person hears these words. Uh, Lord, and this prayer can be prayed not not a, not of any eloquent words or not any any speech that I can provide, Lord, but take that time to ask the Lord to save their souls. And if you're one of those individuals today, Lord, again, whether you're here or whether you're at home watching online or watching a recording, Lord, uh, watching a recording, I just pray that you would take this time and realize and understand that we are all broken. We are all sinners and come short of the glory of God, each and every single one of us. But those of us that have hope, those of us that have a future of serving the Lord and a future that's bright and a future that we see the Lord's love through, that only comes through the relationship that we have now with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are in need of that relationship, I would pray that you would take the time today And I'm going to say a prayer. It's not the words of the prayer. Uh, It's not uh, anything you have to say it the right way or or have the right words come out. It's just a heartfelt connection to God that I'm going to lead you in prayer. And if you want, you can pray in your hearts and your minds. You don't have to pray out loud. Just pray in your hearts and your mind to accept Christ in your hearts today. And if you want to do that, again, repeat after me in your hearts and in your minds. Uh, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short. I know that I've, I've been broken, Lord. I know that uh, I've done things wrong. You know, I know that uh, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to spend the time with you. But, Lord, I'm asking you. you know, I know that you died on the cross. I know you were raised again on the third day, Lord. Lord, I'm just asking you today to come into my heart to save my soul. Lord, we cannot do it of our own selves. So, Lord, I pray that you save my soul. Lord, I thank you, because in faith, Lord, with my heart, if I truly believe that, and I know that Jesus died on the cross, was raised again on the third day, and we're willing to accept his sacrifice and accept uh, the giving of his life for ours, Lord, that we will be saved. Lord, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All heads bowed, still eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. I just want to say, if there's anybody here today, is there anyone here, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make a point out of it. I just want to pray for you because I know how broken I was when I sat in that service that day. Is there anyone here today that says, "You know what? I prayed that prayer." I asked Jesus into my heart today. Is there anyone like that? If you'd raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. You Raise it up, put it right back down. Anyone? Is anyone at home? Reach out to us. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, you know, I pray that you reach out to myself, reach out to pastor, reach out to my wife, Miss Christine. We would love to pray for you. We would love. Uh, to help guide you uh, in discipleship and guide you in the way that the Lord have you to be. (sighs) Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us uh, together today, Lord. I just thank you for the brokenness that I have in my life, Lord, as much as it hurts and as much pain as we've been through and as much as we uh, many times wish that pain would be gone and the hurt would be gone and the brokenness would be gone. Lord, I just pray that in these times we turn to you and we use those past pains and the past troubles Not as shame, not as something, as regret that holds over us for the rest of our lives, but opportunities that we can serve you. Opportunities that we can use our brokenness to be ambassadors of the Lord. And God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for being such an awesome, wonderful, loving God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to take just a minute. Um, this is a time of prayer. If you want to uh, take time to yourself, if you want to pray with your, your spouse or your your friend or whoever's with you, or pray by yourself. Um, we're going to take a couple minutes, uh, and then we're going to we're going to wrap it up. <clears throat>